Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Thanks for listening in and welcome to Leader Dialogue brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. I'm Duffy Dixon with Business Radio X. Let me introduce you to our two leaders with Soar Vision Group, Ben Sawyer, who is the Chief Executive Officer, and Jennifer Strahan, who is the Chief Operating Officer with Soar Vision Group. Now, this is a portion we call the deep dive. If you listen to us every week, we usually have a guest, and then the next show, we'd like to really dig into what we've talked about and sort of explain some of the things we didn't get to finish up on. We are lucky enough to have Colonel Gemini Mikowski joining us for a second show. She is a leader, strategist, and change agent. Change agent. <laughs> she has more than 30 years combined healthcare experience in the private sector and the Department of Defense. She served in the U.S. Air Force, and she is currently a reserve officer. Now, we have been talking about something that has us all freaked out. <laughs> I'll just say it right now at the top of the show. Uh, cybersecurity when it comes to health records. Right. And so we left off talking about how organizations, and in particular healthcare organizations, can um, create uh, approaches to be able to defend against cybersecurity breaches. And one of the concepts was um, the metrics that matter, meaning uh, if you're going to create simulation plans and or you know, approaches to be able to address it, what are the significant measures that allow you to know what you're really going after and to be able to then measure success as to whether it actually won? So that was one thing we brought up. And then um, Jennifer was talking about the uh, acceleration of digital health, particularly in the 18 to 34 age group, by the way, because they use technology as an integrated part of their life much more than us oldsters. So actually, just to comment on that, because I want to interrupt, because again, it's interesting. Um, recently, I heard that about, so nine out of 10 adults use the internet. And that is actually just as heavy with baby boomers as what it is with really? millennials. There's that middle, I can't remember the name of the generation, that middle generation that's not as active. Yeah. But yeah, baby boomers, they're keeping up with their grandkids and everybody uh, else. Yeah. No, I don't feel so mm-hmm. left out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my aunt got a smartphone. And she texts. It's freaking me out. Yeah, she's all over it. Well, and and if you really um, and where Jennifer, I think, was referring to, and as we talked earlier, or we were talking about research studies mm-hmm. that were conducted, and Pew Research Center actually published that, where they look at you know millennial generation, Gen X, um, and then there's the baby boomers, and then there's the silent generation. That's why I couldn't remember um, the name, Silent Generation. <laughs> 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 and, and the stats were actually very interesting because I was, I was reading it. it um, I think we know that the, let's see, the millennials are about 97, 98% users, right? right. But then the, the Gen Xers were like 87%, and then the boomers are about 66%, and then... You've got the silent generation, um, and I think these were the people from the, um, it, you know, the ones that are from the uh, World War II era, era yeah. if you will. And because everyone, again, they're also starting to have internets and smartphones, um, 
to to be connected and again this is the way of where things are going to be in the future with how our healthcare is going to be um and it's not just the US i mean if we look at EU um they are also um pushing for that they actually i think EU has a single digital platform that they're using and and um they're also looking at or using telemedicine a lot because they're having the same problems we are with healthcare. Um, I just got back from uh, where we did a we studied the healthcare system for Sweden, and they have the same problems we have: access to care, cost of care, GDP right. going down, um, and then making healthcare available to everyone. And and you hear a lot about telemedicine. Yeah. So, so so explain where telemedicine is now. Like, what could I do without going to see the doctor? Oh, just about anything. So the, the term that's being used now is digital health. Okay. Because telemedicine had the implication of uh, you're able to basically video conference with your care provider. Okay. And obviously okay. it's a lot more than that now mm -hmm. because you're able to wear devices that automatically transmit information and... and I mean, they can do robotic surgery from a different location. With like, a, it, you literally don't even have to be in the physical space. Like, it's it's a different world of what we typically would think about just to yeah, your there's point, a, video there's a There's a tool called a DaVinci. It's a robotic surgery tool called DaVinci uh, that's kind of a leader in that space. So, yeah. Uh, and by the way, that's completely changing up the market because essentially – medical tourism is on the rise you know people from another country can do surgery in this country remotely um, theoretically so the idea is that digital health is on the rise significantly for all the reasons that gemini was just talking about and as that increases the risk for cyber breach cybersecurity breaches also increase is that correct gemini yeah yeah and so the question uh, the first question we were asking is if an organization is trying to set up uh, a, a good and responsible way of, of protecting the information, not just within their enterprise, but also with their consumers and their uh, associates, what kinds of metrics that matter should they be looking at to gauge whether that's successful or not? Well, some of, some of the things... Well, first and foremost, that's just a disclaimer. Um, from what I've read and studied, there really, because it is a dynamic, I mean, it is so fast and it's evolving, um, there aren't really clear measurements so far that I've seen on how they're measuring it. However, what is available out there um, and what is probably being used is, for example, they're looking at the number of incidents, the cost per incident, the number of data breaches, which are the right. number of events, right. the number of, and, and so if you are going to say, for example, do a simulation, um, and, um, and in that simulation where you're trying to inculcate that culture of cyber awareness cyber safety and you're working with your staff on making sure that you're trying to change your behavior of them not clicking on an email that says, hey, if you click on this email, you're going to get $5 worth of, you know, price going to Starbucks. So, so then going through that exercise, if you will, 
then how effective, how do you know that it's effective? I mean, uh, one of the common measurements would be the number of clicks. I mean, are have you right. changed the behavior? Just are they still it. clicking it? Um, and what's the impact on that training? So it's almost, um, if I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Gemini, but it almost sounds like it's incident-based metrics, right? Like what you're trying to avoid, it, it, this almost reminds me of patient safety stuff when Dr. Mark Crockett was on the the show a while back who's the ceo of verge health he has this thing where he says you know you need to you need to do all the interventions that are left of bang bang meaning an incident in 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 safety that is either a sentinel event or something that you really didn't want to happen that if most of what you do is reactive meaning after the bang that's not a good thing so essentially bang is the incident and all of your prevention me methods then are put in place to prevent bang from mm -hmm. happening. So, so that's that's one aspect. You so what what I'm I'm reading more about is so there is the you know reactive aspect, if you will, of here here here's what we're going to put in place. Um, here's what we're going to measure. Right. But really, the I think the best bang that you're going to get for your buck is if you understand looking at your organizational profile and understand there's a the that book that i was reading about about measuring uncertainties now that's right. what is uncertainty and and how do you define that uncertainty based on this is where the simulations come and, and that monte carlo um, um analysis comes knowing that if i'm organization a um, and I'm located in a rural area, and I'm the only game in town, and what's my profile? What's my risk profile? If I understand my risk profile and understand what are they going what is the intent? What are they coming after? If I understand that, knowing that is my risk profile, then perhaps I can put in place a measurement of mm -hmm. reducing that risk profile. Um, it's very vague because we're still trying to figure out, and from what I'm reading, is what is that measurement and how do I reduce my risk profile? And if I'm going to invest resources into that and make decisions based on that risk profile, what's my return on investment? And, and that's what's going to drive it. But it's a little bit vague because we're still um, this is a very dynamic topic and, and we're all trying to figure this out. Well, I love sense. that you're talking about a risk profile because it's almost like a SWOT analysis for cybersecurity. Yeah. So looking at your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats relative to an organization. But again, the scary part is that a lot of organizations that are not big enterprises, they don't have that expertise in house. And so you really become very you have to almost become reactive right. because unless you're completely dependent on someone else you just i think there's this huge gap where we 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 talked about a bubble we do kind of live inside the bubble we don't really recognize or realize just how scary it is outside of our bubble yeah. well we talked about how often are these things reported you know we mm -hmm. hear about big breaches uh but you don't hear about the small ones and it's not that they're not happening um gemini when is there is there a threshold where uh health companies or healthcare companies have to report things. Um, you know, we talked about sometimes people will hold medical records hostage and mm -hmm. ask for money. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never heard of that. I mean, I think there's one that I looked up, but it sounds oh, like yeah. it happens more than that. Yeah. 
Yes, so the so if, if you look at, I think I've mentioned earlier, the database from um, HHS and where the, they report, and so the threshold is 500 and above. And so if you're below 500, then probably you won't be reporting that and we won't know about it. Um, and what does that mean um, to to the entities that have did get hacked or did get breached? Um, what were the consequences? And so, and you talked about ransomware, um, and I, I think it was in, in England. Uh, I've read this article where they had to shut down operation for ten days. Right. Um, so it's not just when when ransomware when they hold your your information hostage. It's now, it's not just financial implications. It's it's the the patients that are waiting for those procedures, for their mm -hmm. appointments. For uh, it's it's got like what I call a second and third order effect um, that really impacts the entire system and the patients themselves. So it was interesting, Jennifer, that you used the SWAT reference before because. Uh, for the listeners, SWAT stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats, and it's a common tool used in strategic planning. In this case, you almost want to do it backwards. Start with threat, mm -hmm. then go into what's the opportunity to essentially ameliorate that threat or block it or you know protect yourself against as much as you can, and then you go into what are our weaknesses in that regard, mm -hmm. right? And then you finally end up with what are our strengths and how do we create an augmentation plan that actually bolsters our protection. Yeah, so the struggle is that you've got these hackers who we've recently learned the term for hacktivists, that, which I actually think is quite clever. Um, not that we support you in any way. Right. <laughs> but it's interesting because you talk about this. You know, it's almost like having to get in the mindset of a criminal, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. right? There's, a, um, there's an old book. It's called How to Lie with Statistics, and it's, a, it's probably written in the 20s or 30s. It's uh, big font pictures drawn in really good book for anyone who wants to read just kind of basics of statistics and not in a statistical manner but he talks about as he starts it is that people present bad data to us all the time and the best way to, to recognize bad data is to know how to present bad data so that you know it when you see it and he related it to the fact that if you think about um, cops had a hard time catching criminals until they got into the mindset of criminals so that's where you th see things like the white collar show that used to be on USA and getting into the, that mindset, we really, it's interesting, how do we do that with, with cybersecurity? Right. I mean, how do you stay ahead of the curve? Well, so one of the things that's interesting for Duffy and I is the fact that you and Gemini are reading statistics and risk management books. <laughs> oh, I've read that for one. Fun. <laughs> that's a great book. For fun. <laughs> yeah, for fun. Uh, I'm going to bring you a hey, copy. Like, hey, Ben, I think I know what we're getting for Christmas. <laughs> Six dollars on Amazon. <laughs> But it has pictures, Duffy. Uh, then I'm so hand, hand drawn. <laughs> well, this is not this then, is not computer animated. Wow, this is classic. There you go. Wow. Okay. Classic statistics. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, and I can add to that reading too. If you, I was just downloading please. the Poneman Institute. Thanks. I'm writing the list down, so please add to it because I'm looking for nighttime reading. <laughs> so just. it's the 2018 Cost of Data Breach Study. Impact of Business Continuity Management, and um, I'm just I just downloaded it, and it's in October 2018, and they were talking about, you know, just briefly scanning through it, the size of the breach, number of records stolen, the time it takes to identify and contain a breach, 
um, detection and escalation of breach incident, I mean, and then the post-data breach cost. So there's some research going on out there now, and there is a lot of research, but I still go back to, okay, that's great. I have all this information. Now what am I, what am I going to do with it, and how do I apply this? That's right. To a hospital or healthcare system, um, to to mitigate my risk, if you will, um, that's still a big question, and and I'm I think everyone else is we're still all trying to figure this out. I think having that data though, that that how much it costs in the end, mm -hmm. that could be helpful because one of the things is, as we said, this is costly, right. not only to have these systems in place, but to keep them updated because as we said. The hackers are always a step ahead. That is nothing new. The minute, you know, policy changes much slower than what is actually happening. So it's it's not just investing in a system, it's putting money toward it continually. And those kind of those kind of facts and figures may help you present it to hospitals or, or to doctors' offices and they mm -hmm. can as kind, a, of as get a kind of almost as a motivational how, thing yeah, to understand how, the how scope of the problem. Is. So um, it sounds Gemini and Jennifer, like there's a lot of information out there, and it's not just to cure insomnia at night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it actually it's has great information. It has great use. Um, but in that regard, what what kind of information um, should listeners who want to get into this not not by title, but what kind of topically should they be considering to protect their own organization? I would look at, and, and this is just me, you know, from, from my research, I mean, if they want to look at understanding threats, you know, I, gotcha. again, it, it really, what is, you know, what are my, what out there is being, what are the research out there on cyber threats, right. vulnerabilities? Because you see there's a lot of paper there, and then now you can take that and apply it into you. And, and the common vulnerabilities that are cited, again, is, you know, lack of staffing, lack of the expertise, um, the, the human factor, the human behavior. So it's not that if, if they Google this and they take a look at the vulnerabilities and the threats and what is being put out there as some of the things that some of the organizations are doing and, and have in place. And some of them may state, hey, we're using the, the um, NIST cybersecurity framework. I call these approaches threat agnostic approaches because if you look at it, it's, it's the high trust itself. I mean, I've, from what I've seen is they, you know, it's purported to be specific to healthcare. But I look at it as a, a, a tool, it's sort of like a checklist. Here are the things that you have to look at and controls you have to have in place. And, oh, by the way, we comply with all these accreditation agencies, and they have a crosswalk that addresses NIST and ISO and all some of the state agencies. So, so it gives you an idea when you do this research of cybersecurity framework, cybersecurity threats data breaches, vulnerabilities, it, it gives me from a, a start-up, um, ground-up, you know, approach of what are the ideas, the, what are the things that I need to understand and learn from what is already published so that I can take that and apply it to my organization. 
especially if I'm not a technology person. Mm -hmm. um, because it, it's, it, the more I read about it, the more I, I it is, it is very, it can be very overwhelming. Right, exactly. Just to, so just to repeat uh, quick, um, what you were saying is you should look for the understanding of threats. What are the common vulnerabilities? That was number two. What can be done and is being used? In other words, what are the either the threat agnostic approaches or other, other things that are available? And then control and prevention uh, mechanisms. And Jennifer, I think you were going to tie that back to the Baldridge in terms of that that comprehensive approach yes i was going to ask jim and i to tie that back to the ball <laughs> so, so, so now so has. now jennifer's giving jim and i a pop quiz over over, over the radio no. so we haven't mentioned that we kind of briefly mentioned it but jim and i actually has a lot of extensive experience as an examiner and consultant with baldridge so she's been engaged in that that framework and the cybersecurity framework's relatively new for baldridge um, i can't remember exactly when it was and I know that some of their framework is really around helping organizations look at their cybersecurity risk assessment relative to those same categories that we talk about in general with leadership, strategy, customers, workforce, operations, and then, of course, overall measurement analysis and knowledge management as it lends itself to results. So, Jim and I, can you talk a little bit about how that framework can help organizations to start to assess their cybersecurity risk? Yes. Yeah, so... So if I were to put my Baldridge hat right now or, you know, as a C-suite leader, knowing and understanding that, okay, I don't have a lot of resources, I don't have a lot of money, um, and um, I've got all these challenges with healthcare reform and access to care, how would I ground it up and how would I pull it up back to a 40,000-foot view of my organization? I would ground everything in strategy. Mm. It really goes back to, again, as as a as a leader of an organization, you know, we would assume that we all know and understand what is our organization, what is the external pressures, the external environment, um, and what are the services we do we have to provide, and what are our challenges. Well, I would take cybersecurity, and rather than having a siloed approach. And saying and delegating it to the CISO or or IT if you don't have a CISO or a director of IT, I would bring that up to that level of um, at the executive level in strategy, and and develop and and bring it up as part of your strategic planning process in developing your approaches for overcoming these challenges or these uncertainties or the known things because. If you've done this, and if or if you've been if you've been breached once or twice, this would give you an idea of what your threat profile is, and what approaches you are going to have. So, so take it back up to a strategy, developing your action plans, and then again your measurements. Now, involving, engaging your patients. That's what category three. Of, of of the the Baldrige framework, right. right? If you if you look at leadership strategy and taking the information that uh, about your your customers 
um, not just your customers, but a key thing we didn't talk about is your suppliers. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. So that, that's a, a key vulnerability is your suppliers that are providing you the services that are anything connected through the internet. I mean, you're going to need to prioritize that. Um, take that also into consideration, and then use and then as you take it from your your strategy considering that developing your action plans and then as you cascade it down to again involving your staff you know you have processes you've got your staff who are ultimately going to execute this and then your measurements your measurements can't be qualitative you want to use as much you know quantitative measurement as you can because that measurement that you're going to use is going to drive your decisions. Mm-hmm. Right. So right? it's in, it's in, it, yeah it's interesting. I mean to interrupt you, Gemini, but it's interesting to hear you say this because I this week I was talking to a uh, senior leader that is in charge of uh, he's the chief strategy officer for his his health system, um, and we were talking about the multidimensional nature of uh, strategic planning now in digital health where. Um, you're looking at legislative changes, you're looking at regulatory changes, you're looking at marketplace changes, um, you're trying to understand your new consumer because um, the, you know it's, it's different than it was in the past. And we never even considered the fact that you, you also need to include in your strategic planning your cybersecurity exposure, particularly if you have an evolving digital health strategy so that's fascinating it's a lot like catastrophic life insurance you don't really think about it until you need it yeah. right right and same thing with cybersecurity. it's something where yeah, until you realize the the breach potential or the actual breach itself we often are we we don't prioritize it because to gemini's point earlier we have so many other things on our plate that's right that's right so it's we're we're always tyrannized by the urgent which draws us away from the important and again, that's the left of bang concept. You know, you, the tyranny of the urgent is you're reacting to a fire. In this case, that's a worst case scenario. So what you want to be able to do is assess that up front, put in whatever preventive mechanisms you can to reduce the risk exposure, mm-hmm. to ensure the continuity of the organization and its purpose, and, and build that into the strategic plan and make sure that those actions are cascaded all the way down to the front line, I think is what I'm is that correct, Gemma? Yes, but but also another key here, you know, long time. I mean, the the strategic planning process itself has to be dynamic, right? Yeah, right. Because we live, everything changes now so fast mm-hmm. that that we need to look at and and I'm trying to remember the the there was a theory on, on the strategic decision making process that you have to understand the how fast your environment is moving because sometimes your five ten year outlook is not going to work right because you need to look at how fast is it moving and how fast do you have to adjust you have to be and stay relevant to your organization now does that mean that you you don't look to the future no you do look to the future but you need to have a dynamic strategy management process itself so that you can adjust accordingly. Right. It's a, this is an issue that's going to, as we said, this is not just in healthcare. Healthcare, is, mm-hmm. you know, because, because a lot of your clients are healthcare, and it's something that I think patients don't even think about, right. Um, right. let alone 
a lot of people who work in healthcare, but in all businesses, cybersecurity is not is not going away. Uh, the need for it is not going away. And as we said, hackers are always going to get smarter. So I, I thought, you know, some of the things that are very easy to do that Gemini and I talked about is going to the front lines and saying, hey, when you're on our system, here's what you don't click on. And those mm -hmm. are things that some people think are no-brainers. But as she said, people have done these simulations right. and people click on them. Mm -hmm. All the time. What, what I always say, if it looks too good to be true, don't click on it. When you get, yeah, $5, you know, a right. $20 Starbucks <laughs> card for $5, right. I'm pretty sure that's not real. Yeah, but yeah so, so wherever consumerism uh, is is evident, so in the financial sector, or the consumer product sector, healthcare, consumer transactions are high target areas, yeah. obviously, for hackers versus, you know, steel manufacturing or something. So, right. so now that we've scared everybody from our show right. for the last two shows, it sounds like we just need to get a bunker and go back to paper. <laughs> next week, next week, the zombie apocalypse. So you can delete your Facebook profile. I mean, what was it lately? 50 million yes. um, records have? Uh, yes. Wow. So um, we do not want to end on a scary note, no. even though it no. was Halloween this yeah, that's, week. That's true. Um, but it turns out, like everything else we talked about on the show, a pound of prevention, or excuse me, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes. And so what you want to do is focus on left of bang, we'll use Dr. Crockett's reference, and try to put in the preventative mechanisms, think strategically, translate that into actions to reduce your risk exposure as yeah. an organization and reduce the potential for these kinds of events to occur. And hopefully, as as the colonel pointed out, down the road we will have better measurements. We will have better metrics that we can use for this sort That's of thing. That's right. So it's a journey. Thank you yeah. so much for and joining it, us. Thank you. And for all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on Leader Dialogue, brought to you by SOAR Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Remember, you can listen to us live every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. You can also see our shows on businessradiox.com at the Gwinnett Studio, then Go down and you'll see Leader Dialogue. And if you can't join us, we keep all of our shows. And another great place to find them is www.leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben and Jennifer with SOAR Vision Group and our producers, Trey and Mike, I'm Duffy Dixon. Join us next time on Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X. 